0: Support for KQED podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions. Online or through Star One's mobile app, Star One Credit Union in your best interest.
1: From KQED.
0: Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. For the first time in nearly two decades, endangered and rare forms of salmon are being spotted in Bay Area creeks. Lake Merritt was visited by Chinook salmon in December. This month, coho salmon are swimming in the tiny tributaries of the San Geronimo Valley. It is, of course, due to the big rains of December, which made this year pretty wet, despite our relatively dry January. But is this truly a good thing or just another freaky coincidence happening in this already strange year and time uh, era? Joining us to talk about salmon, we have Ayano Hayes, a watershed biologist with Salmon Protection and Watershed Network. Also, we'll come back to Ayano in just a sec. We also have David Wofford, a co-chair of the Rotary Nature Center Friends in Oakland. Welcome, David. Welcome.
2: Uh, thank you, Alexis, for having me this morning.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, David Wofford, let's uh, start with you your group, and you actually spotted some of these salmon in Lake Merritt.
2: Well, uh, let's see. I did see one of the salmon that has been reported. Um, But more than that, I've heard from a number of visitors and frequenters at Lake Merritt and seen the photos that they've been able to capture. Uh, So that's how I'm so excited about the numbers that showed up.
0: So when we talk about this, I mean, do people get excited about? Because our team, when we were heard, you know, salmon in Lake Merritt, we were like losing our minds. It's just not something that I had considered happening.
2: Well, I suspect your sophisticated elite uh, listeners like myself were pretty excited to hear about this anomaly after all this time that we're spotting the salmon in the the lake. And we were excited to uh, discover what the reasons for that might be. Yeah.
0: And do you think people have a relationship to salmon as one of the species that w- really does live here,
2: you know? Oh, you know, Alexis, that was one of the most exciting things about it is that among all the fish uh, that we know of, salmon are some of the most iconic, particularly in terms of what we think about the impact on the environment that has occurred in the Pacific Northwest mm-hmm. uh, for so long, particularly beginning in 1849 with the huge uh, rush of um, human activity. Here. So, the Rotary Nature Center friends, we're always excited uh, as we study the uh, organisms that live and uh, farm and prosper at Lake Merritt. But when we see an anomaly like this, and with the salmon showing up again, we get really, really excited to look for reasons why.
0: Yeah, yeah. And let's, uh, we do have Ayano Hayes, watershed biologist with the Salmon Protection and Watershed Network. Uh, Ayano, why did this happen?
1: Yes, can can everyone hear me? Yeah, we can, we can. Oh, perfect, perfect. Thank you for having me on the show this morning. Um, so yeah, salmon are back in the Lagunitas watershed out here in West Marin. It's been very exciting to see their return. And there are multiple factors that have resu- resulted in the salmon making their way up so high into the watershed and even in areas where neighbors haven't seen salmon who live along the creek for over 15 years. Yeah. And that's due to... The magnitude of the first rains we've received at the end of October, if we can all remember that atmospheric river um, that you know flooded through the valley and through the Bay Area, that really encouraged a strong movement uh, of the salmon from the ocean heading through Tomales Bay and into the smaller creeks up in the higher parts of the watershed. So the magnitude of these first rains, as well as smaller scale scale rain events throughout December, really helped promote and continue the migratory patterns of these salmon to make it back to the natal streams in which they were born in.
0: We're talking about salmon being spotted in unusual places in the Bay Area recently with Ayano Hayes, a watershed biologist with the Salmon Protection and Watershed Network. The acronym there is SPAWN. And David Wofford, uh, co-chair with the Rotary... Uh, Nature Friends, uh, Nature Center Friends in Oakland. We want to hear from you. Have you spotted these salmon in your neighborhood, waterways, or, you know, even your backyard? What was your reaction? And how can we be better stewards of our land to protect and revitalize uh, salmon? Give us a call now. 866-733-6786. 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can get in touch, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or KQED Forum, or you can email your questions to forum at kqed.org. I, you know, uh, I think I need to better understand the life cycle of salmon so I can understand how fish that haven't been seen in these places for a long time could reappear. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about how, that, how the salmon's life cycle works?
1: Absolutely. Um, So, where to start? I guess we could start with the adults returning back into the freshwater system. They're there finding the adequate spawning gravel to lay their nests. And as they lay their nests, um, the females and males are present. And once the females and males um, have fertilized and spawned out um, and have finished what they were intended to do, uh, they will die and pass away in the creek, and one, those eggs are then left to the natural elements to hopefully grow and develop, and over about a month to a month and a half, the eggs will emerge as fall, alvin, and fry, and they'll continue to grow in the freshwater creek for about a year and a half. Um, these are the coho salmon. They'll grow, and after about a year and a half in the following spring, they will leave out to the ocean and hang out in the estuary as they have an abundant amount of food much more so than in the freshwater creek and they'll start to bulk up as they venture out into the ocean and continue the rest of their adult phase in the ocean for another one and a half years and at that point the coho have a very thick three year life cycle. Mm -hmm. And so at the end of the one and a half years in the ocean, they will return back and go into the freshwater creeks to spawn and repeat the whole life cycle again.
0: So I guess what's interesting is, you know, three years ago we were, you know, in the middle of the drought. Um, So when these fish were born, they were born in these sort of drought stricken conditions, right? Or is it they're moving differently now? I guess that's the part that's sort of hanging me up.
1: Yeah, so I mean, depending on the amount of rain and the, the many years of drought that we just experienced, these fish are hanging out in the river system. Um, they're trying to hang in the deeper pools to, with the risk of um, stranding or drying up of the creeks from the heightened temperatures. And so they're really dependent on their survival of staying in the deep, cool, pool, cool pools and, yeah, at, at every year, at every stage, there's always fish in these creeks. And so that's why it's really important with the work that we're doing with restoration, that we're targeting the different um, life stages. But, yeah, it's really important to understand with the three-year life cycle, we can track and, and go back to the parent generation and the conditions that they faced, as well as the conditions moving on throughout their, throughout their life cycle to help kind of get an idea of what their return is going to be, what their survivability is. And, yeah, it's, it's a really important and, um, I think, really interesting part of my work yeah. with um, studying the different life stages.
0: I mean, would you anticipate then that in three years from now, because we've had this big year, that there might be a, a larger than, than normal return?
1: Correct. There is a strong likelihood uh, because there were so many fish that returned in the system, as well as accessing other parts of the watershed that, you know, normally aren't accessible due to lower flows, um, there was much more spawning habitat that was um, utilized. And so therefore more nests, more eggs being laid. And so um, there's just a higher potential for uh, these young fish to survive and hopefully again, make their way out to the ocean and come back as a stronger return in three years.
0: And did you see some of these yourself, like as a wildlife, a watershed biologist, have you actually been able to observe salmon in these places where you, you hadn't seen them before?
1: Yes, yes. Um, As my position with SPAWN, I'm in charge of monitoring the smaller tributaries to San Geronimo Creek, which is one of the larger creeks and tributaries to Loganatus Creek. Mm -hmm. And in these higher up tributaries, this is for this year, this is where we saw Chinook salmon for the first time um, ever that we've noticed or have recorded and that neighbors have even noticed when they're looking out in their backyard and looking at the stream. So it was quite remarkable to see such large Chinook king salmon in a, in a tributary that they normally don't venture out to.
0: Because, I mean, how big are these fish we're talking
1: here? oh, they're about three feet in length, <laughs> and um, with, or two to three feet in length. And with the Chinook, they're much more like football-sized shaped compared <laughs> to the coho or the steelhead. So they're, they are big, chunky fish in, in a creek, in a tributary that I'm surveying that's only about five feet wide, um, typically. So it's quite astonishing to see see such a large fish in such a small system. Let's
0: bring in Reenie from Oakland, California. Hey there. Hey, Reenie. Hi, this is super exciting. I'm shouting out from Sausal Creek in the Oakland area where <laughs> I walk every morning. And it's just been spectacular to see the water flow. And although we haven't spotted any, we've been told to be looking out for rainbow trout, which I guess don't, don't come back, and the seal head. We haven't seen any yet. But my big question was, and um, Lake Merritt has just been doing so much since Measure D.D. opened up the bottom of it. What kind of trout are we seeing in Lake Merritt? And uh, approximately what kind of numbers are we looking at? The same. David Wofford, what can you tell us about, uh, about those numbers and how the restoration of uh, Lake
2: Merritt has gone? Well, um, what I can say about the numbers is, to my knowledge, directly in Lake Merritt, I know of about maybe nine or so that have been spotted, uh, but I'm on, I believe that there have been many more, but uh, there's a random spotting and it's, uh, we don't have a, uh, a uh, more regulated way of collecting that data, mm. but I will agree that uh, since the measure DD improvements in the opening, that that has uh, had an impact we've been unable to fully determine the exact impact but we are in the process of forming a a, a group to meet with the uh the uh, uh local authorities who are involved in the operations of the uh tidal gates and to uh see if we can uh, get an established uh study and routine and process for being able to uh understand better the operations of the tide gates and how that might affect the freshwater flow and, uh, again, uh, maybe perhaps increase the amount of fish that we'll be seeing swimming around the Lake Merritt. Yeah. When when did Measure D.D. go through? I can't remember the year. Well, let's see. Uh, 20 years ago, just about 20 years ago. Okay. I don't okay. remember the exact year myself. Yeah. But I think we're in the 19th year of it now.
0: Uh, not certainly enough time to see some of these changes. So that's that's great. Thanks so much for well, that. enough
2: time to see the bridge and, the, uh, and all the improvements around the lake that we all enjoy. Yeah.
0: Thanks so much for that uh, question, Rini. Um, and we've got another caller, uh, Alyssa in San Anselmo. Welcome.
1: Hi. So I drive Sir Francis Drake four or five days a week and past the creeks, and I've noticed that they are drying up. What happens after the fish spawn? They lay their eggs. The creeks dry up. What happens to those eggs? I know the, the, the salmon will die. But what happens to the eggs when there's no more? (laughs) Because we are not having any more rain. Right.
0: Very, very good um, question. Um, What do you uh, what do you think, Ayano? Like, assuming that we don't get any more rain, what happens?
1: I know that is definitely a, a an issue that can occur if we don't receive any more rains after nests have been laid. The risk of flow dropping and exposing those mounds where the eggs are buried um, will dry out the eggs and leave them unviable and so that it is definitely a risk and um, fortunately this year with the amount of fish and the amount of nests that have been laid hopefully there will be still a good amount of nests that will you know stay underneath the water and be able to develop properly Mm -hmm. Um, but there's not much that we can do at this point. We have no control over the rain and, and the flows and it's really just kind of left to nature. And I mean, the salmon have been evolving with these climates and, um, you know, we can just always hope that they'll, they'll be able to survive and that the eggs were laid deep enough in the water. Um, it's definitely a risk that we are watching out for.
0: Yeah, my kids were up in Sibley, um, the park here in the East Bay Hills, and found a little vernal pond up there. Unfortunately, we haven't had rain, so now the pond's starting to dry up, and there's a bunch of newt eggs in there. And oh. so now I've been worrying about these newt eggs <laughs> since, they, uh, since they got back, kind of really wanting some rain for these newts. Um, Ayano, Anne, uh, listener Anne tweets, if it's been 15 years since salmon have been seen in Marin, how do the adults know where to find their creek?
1: Yeah, that is a great question. So when the eggs are laid and they emerge out of the gravel, they do imprint on their surroundings. They also get a sense of what the water quality is like so that they are able to sniff their way back into the natal streams that they were born into when they return. Although for these creeks that have not seen fish in many, many years, yeah, um, yeah, the access again into these higher up tributaries, fish will take Uh, the opportunity to explore and they'll meander and go off into these upper tributaries and then they'll be able to establish their children, their young into imprinting in these new systems. So in a way, it's a way for the fish to continue to spread out their genetics and um, be able to repopulate streams that haven't been populated in many, many years.
0: Yeah, I think that might have answered uh, listener Ron's question, but in case there's more to it, Ron asks, this year the heavy rainfall enabled the salmon to return, but of course the salmon didn't know it was going to rain. Do the Mm -hmm. salmon return to the mouth of those rivers and creeks every year but just cannot go upstream? Do they somehow know heavy rains will result in the creeks being available so they come to different creeks and rivers than they otherwise would? And where do they go to spawn if they cannot go upstream?
1: Yeah, another great question. So. Because the salmon have a very fixed three year life cycle, they are finishing their life to spawn. Like that is their main goal at the end of the day. (laughs) And whether they are able to access into the upper parts of the watershed where they have sniffed out is their natal stream. If they aren't able to access those points, they will ultimately just kind of spawn wherever they can. Um, They are going to take advantage of whatever spawning grounds are available to them. Uh, and that's the, the issue with culverts and other obstacles and barriers within a system that can impede on a salmon's navigability up into certain streams. They will do what they can and work with what they have and um, and spawn wherever they may. And even though if like a rain event does definitely help promote their movement, they, they take advantage of those rain events. But if it, if it just never comes, they will, they'll make do do. what they can. Yeah. They make (laughs) do. Absolutely.
0: Uh, David Wofford, very uh, quick last question. If people want to get involved with some of the observations you're trying to put together of Lake Merritt at the Rotary Nature Center, friends in Oakland, uh, what do they do?
2: Well, they could uh, contact me at uh 510 712 2865 they could uh join us on the third saturday of each month from uh 9 to 11 a.m. okay at the rotary nature center friend which is at, uh right is there that? along the lake yeah well 670 bellevue i believe yeah. is the actual address great, 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 great. Cool.
0: I'll write that. Uh, You heard it. Rotary Nature Center Friends. You can get in touch with David Wofford. We've been talking about salmon being spotted in unusual places in the Bay Area recently with Ayano Hayes, a watershed biologist with the Salmon Protection and Watershed Network, and David Wofford, the co-chair of the Rotary Nature Center Friends in Oakland. Thanks so much for joining us, you two. Thank Thank you. (laughs) I'm Alexis Madrigal. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Priya David-Clements.
1: Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, President of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way
0: so, I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite- Ha! Found ya.
2: How? you
1: left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett.